This is Archive Atlanta, episode 63, Murder of Robert Alston. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey guys, happy Friday. If you listened to last week's episode about Decatur, you know that I just got married. And now I'm actually on my honeymoon. But I didn't want to leave you without an episode. So I'm bringing you a shorter one than you're used to, but I promise it's not one to miss. This will sound familiar to my Patreon contributors because I released this for them um, way back in October. So I've tried to add a few little more pieces of information. And there is a book about this entire topic that I have yet to read because it's impossible to find a copy. You have to order on Amazon and it takes like three weeks to deliver, which is crazy. Um, but I'm going to put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to order that. This story ends on March 11th, 1879, around 6.40 p.m. Lieutenant Colonel Robert Alston lay dead on a sofa inside the home of Dr. Tabor over on Decatur Street. He had been shot in a duel by his close friend in retaliation for going against the prevailing beliefs of the time. And today, I'm going to tell you about Alston's life and how it ended in this tragic way. If his name sounds familiar, I did mention him briefly in episode 45 about Eastlake and Bobby Jones. And this is because his land was the basis of this neighborhood and golf course. Robert Augustus Alston was born in Macon, Georgia in 1832 to parents Willis and Elizabeth. Although born in our state, he was a descendant of the prominent Alston family of South Carolina. His family moved a lot, so at the age of three, they moved to Florida, and then in 1839 to Texas. Now, his dad was a bit of a character, for lack of a better term. The Alstons had been described as having, quote, passion at the slightest insult, end quote. And what they're talking about was that Robert's uncle was killed in a duel back in Florida. To avenge his brother's death, his father Willis returns to Florida in 1840-ish and kills the man that won the duel. Now, if that is not enough, when he gets back to Texas, there is a man that's basically just teasing him for what he did, and he kills him too. Willis Alston is murdered while serving time in prison in Texas, and he dies in his boots. At this point, Robert's mother, Elizabeth Howard Alston, takes he and his younger sister, Susan, back east. And the remainder of his childhood is a bit fuzzy because the records from this time are old and hard to come by. But we do see Robert pop up again around 1856 in Charleston, South Carolina. He is working as a clerk on Meeting Street, and in 1857, he's admitted to the South Carolina Bar. The same year, he married Mary Magel, who was the daughter of a very, very wealthy plantation owner. Robert wasn't exactly doing poorly. The records indicate that he owned $2,400 worth of land and a quote-unquote sizable amount of enslaved people. Robert joins the Charleston Light Dragoons as a private, and this group is the city's oldest antebellum militia. So it's comprised of elite Charleston men. Think a little bit more social club than your standard Confederate combat unit. While there, he was sent to Sullivan's Island, which is right across from Fort Sumter, and he was actually there during the bombardment. Um, if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, quick Civil War history, but the official start, or the first shot, of the Civil War was on Fort Sumter. I think it was these life experiences during the very beginnings of the war that drive him to buy land in Georgia. 
By 1860, he owned several acres in DeKalb County, and by 1861, he would move his entire family there and into a home built a few years prior. As a renewed Georgian, he joins John Hunt Morgan's cavalry and was quickly promoted to chief of staff. He goes on to become a lieutenant colonel in the 9th Tennessee. The Alston home is one of Atlanta's oldest. I talked about it in another uh, mini episode before, and it is packed with history. It's truly, truly a miracle this thing is still here. Members of Alston's regiment camped in the backyard. General Morgan stayed in the home, and there are nicks from rifle butts in the stairway banister. And there is a dead Alabama soldier buried in the backyard. Well, I hope he's dead. This house is usually listed on the haunted Atlanta lists. The Alston family left the house as the war neared Atlanta, um, but it's said that their furniture was wrapped up, shipped up north, and then there are fine paintings hidden in the woods behind the house. Miraculously, at the war's end, the family got all of their belongings back, and Robert returns everyone into the house and starts to practice law again. Law didn't seem to be his priority, as he retires three years later and takes up farming. By 1872, he is making the trek into Atlanta, to be editor of the Atlanta Daily Herald. This paper was founded in 1872 by a Spanish Creole man named Alexander St. Clair Abrams, and it became a direct rival to the Atlanta Constitution. Robert Alston was actually responsible for bringing the famed Henry Grady to town as he convinced him to move out of Rome, Georgia, and purchase a third interest in the Herald, just like Alston had done. It wasn't the most financial sound enterprise, but it sounds like they were an outspoken publication for sure, publishing articles by women about women's rights. Sadly, in 1876, the paper folds and is absorbed by the Constitution, but Grady and Alston regroup and they start the Atlanta Courier. That would only last three weeks. Alston packs up and goes back to farming and then resumes his law practice. In 1878, he was elected to the Georgia State Legislature to serve as a representative for the 78-79 session. He also acted as chairman for the committee on the state penitentiary, which is where the convicts were leased from. Once he investigated the horrors of convict leasing, he couldn't go back. So I talked about this in detail in the episode about Chattahoochee Brick. If you have not listened to that, you really must. It's one of like the top recommended episodes that I tell people to listen to. Um, but Chattahoochee Break was the largest user of convict labor. Alston submits a report in 1879 and inside it details that most Georgia camps are not following the rules and regulations set forth by the government, especially in the area of separating the sexes. Men and women were not only chained together, but they were forced to share sleeping quarters. 25 quote-unquote illegitimate children had been discovered, ranging from ages three months to five years. In his statement, Alston writes, quote, where is the possibility of reform in a system where men and women are chained together, end quote. Three months later, he would be dead. George's convicts were leased into three companies, and one of the men invested in these companies was General John B. Gordon, who at this point is a senator in Washington. Robert's expose really bothered Gordon, and he wanted out of the convict leasing system, and he authorized Alston with power of attorney to sell his interest in company number two. Gets a lot more complicated than this. Uh, Gordon currently had an eight-year deal with Captain Edward Cox, who was a subleasee. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of this deal, um, but there's meetings and negotiations were had and made, and Cox comes out the loser. 
In his mind, Cox was ruined by this trade orchestrated by Alston. Tuesday afternoon, March 11th, Cox and his buddies were having a drink in the saloon. Alston enters and is asked to join them, which he does. The two men move to the back room of Hutchins' barbershop. Cox draws a knife, and Colonel Alston is able to convince him, hey, this is unfair, I'm unarmed. Let me arm myself, and we'll meet again. So at 3.30 p.m., the two would meet at the office of the state treasurer at the state capitol. There were two other men there, and both did their very best to prevent any violence, trying to inject reason into this contemptuous situation. The first shots fired were fired almost simultaneously from both men. But after Robert's fifth shot, Cox, who had already been hit in the mouth and the hand, was able to clearly shoot a bullet right through Alston's head. Robert Augustus Alston was 47 years old. His new widow rushed from their country home in current-day Eastlake and kneeled and prayed beside his dead body. His good friend rushed to remove his boots so he wouldn't die in them just like his father. Alston's funeral was a big deal. Uh, The train took 300 Atlantans over to Decatur, and once they were there, they joined almost the entire town of Decatur. The coffin was carried um, through a Masonic line, so he was a mason, and so everybody kind of put their sword up and created a tunnel for it to go through. His funeral was at Decatur Methodist, and then he was brought to Decatur Cemetery. So Alston is actually buried just a few feet away from the grave of Captain Cox. Cox was tried for murder in 1879 and found guilty. He was sentenced to hard labor for the remainder of his life, and he would labor in the Dade coal mines, owned by Joseph E. Brown. Feeling sympathetic to this man that was his, you know, friend or former friend, he gave him an easier job tending to livestock on the property. In 1882, he was pardoned by Governor Alexander Stevens, former vice president of the Confederacy. He lived out the remainder of his life on a farm off Marietta Road before being laid to rest in Decatur Cemetery. So there you have it, the story of Robert Alston and his murder. There is that book. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, If anyone has read it, definitely let me know. The only tangible places, again, are the grave sites, which are definitely worth a visit. And really, the capital in downtown Atlanta um, is where this all happened. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, um, please rate or leave a review wherever you listen. I will be back next week with more episodes, so I hope everyone has a great weekend.